baseball i was gonna continue to do that longer but i don't really think people would like they'd probably turn it off immediately <laughs> i felt like that's really loud and it scared the shit out of me <laughs> i know i was just like super enthused and like so like when we started talking about this show we wanted to talk originally we were going to talk about like daily baseball activities trades Actual players games pitching performances not creating like, our own content for yeah, two, three months yeah and now we've been creating our own content for a couple months so um said to kind of see us like get into that but now that like we're gonna have a shortened season here so um we should be fairly ready to uh come up with our own content after the season again so yep so that was just me overly excited pretty sure i was ready for the intro uh and then was just like you know what here it is go well all right so welcome to the interlude welcome 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 back episode 10 by the way episode 10 we fit double digits my friend oh no that's also crazy um but yeah as uh as chris mentioned we we finally have i guess if you want to call it an agreement i guess the a lack there of an agreement um but Manfred has imposed a season. Uh, the players have agreed to report. Um, I think there's still like one minor hurdle and like the health and safety aspect. Um, there's still always the possibility that COVID spikes up and cancels everything all over again. Uh, so I guess we're not out of the woods, but at least there's a path that we're on now. Um, and ideally it'll lead to a shortened baseball season. That gets completed, and we have a, a World Series winner. Are we still worried about, like, I know I was uh, reading, like, the Blue Jays were still trying to get, like, permission to play in Canada. Um, so I think, like, I, I don't know. Obviously, I don't know exactly how to work out. Um, I believe that they are working on there being, like, I guess, like, some, like, quote-unquote sports visa would be the best way I look at it. It's, like, how you get work visas and what they do for sports varies a little different than what you do for, like, a normal job. So I think they're trying to do something along those lines because the NHL has to deal with the same thing because they're going to put a hub city in Canada as well. Um, but that's dependent on they're not they're not needing to be a 14-day quarantine uh, upon entering the country. So yeah. if they can do that for the NHL, which if they can't, then the NHL isn't going to have a hub city there, so they'd lose out on all of that money. Um, so if they can do that for the NHL, then assuming they'd be able to do that for baseball, so I think they'd be able to work it out. Um, but I don't know exactly all the logistics behind that. Um, well, and because testing guys all the time, so because the bigger well, true, but I think where the the bigger sticking point comes is that upon the hub city being in Canada, you're likely going to have it's either going to be the Western Conference or Eastern Conference that's up there playing the remainder of their playoffs, um, and then potentially the Stanley Cup. So either way, like the most you're going to have join is one more hockey team. I think they talked about maybe the, the semifinals and finals would be played at the same hub city. So maybe you have two more teams, like say the Eastern Conference is there. You have the two teams from the Western Conference that are going to come up there on one occasion and not leave. If you're going to play baseball there, the Blue Jays are going to have every team, every other team from the AL East and every team from the NL East travel to Toronto at some point, maybe multiple times throughout the season. Yeah. So now you're at a point where you have nine teams coming and going, and it becomes a little bit sketchier for Canada, or I guess for Toronto, 
because uh, it isn't going to affect it isn't going to impact all of Canada, obviously. Um, but that, that would be the only reason why I think it would be a difference. But I think if they're able to work something out, um, there's also the possibility that you could always see Toronto just play in a different stadium for their home games uh, south of the border, uh, somewhere in New York or something along those lines. Um, obviously, any of like the AAA affiliate stuff isn't being utilized. Um, college campuses aren't being utilized, stuff like that. Um, so I'm sure that there's something that they will work out. It's just a matter of where they'll play. Um, home field advantage really doesn't matter too much because uh, there aren't going to be fans. Um, but I would imagine they'd like to have coverage and be able to play in their own dome. Um, they also have the hotel attached to. Yeah, that's what I liked about it. Like I thought it was a good setup. Like they had access to the field by the hotel, so yeah. they could. So like that, you can just quarantine. Yeah, you can just like quarantine. Like a 60-day hangout, like a 60-day lock-in. You know, mm-hmm. like hey, we're locked in, can't go home. Playing baseball here for 60 straight days. Yep, it would have been uh would have been interesting. Um, but yeah, so I guess to kind of get into where the status of things are right now. Um, so players agreed to report on July 1st. I think they have, I think they can start reporting on July 1st. I think I read they have to be there no later than the fourth. Um, they're going to do kind of the same thing where pitchers and catchers report first. Um, so upon reporting, um, players will be tested for COVID-19, uh, due to recent spikes with COVID-19 cases, almost all the teams will hold their spring training at their home ballpark or in that general vicinity. I know the Cardinals will be here in St. Louis. I think both the Mets and Yankees have said that they'll be at colleges near their home stadiums, but not actually playing at their home ballparks. A lot of that's dependent on how many people they plan on having at camp, actually, uh, because obviously the normal ballpark isn't meant to house that many people because you normally usually have like the 25-man locker room. Um, So even if you utilize both both locker rooms it's typically not going to hold 60 people uh so there just isn't as much room as there normally is well if we were already at one cardinal way we'd be get to witness some live baseball you know? we would that's true i wonder how they're gonna like keep fans from not being around the stadium because <clears throat> st louis is a pretty deep like there's some spots that are open-esque mm-hmm. and you can oh, watch the, you definitely uh, you definitely can and, see the field from outside the stadium. Yeah, and you can see the screen for sure. So, I and mean, it, who knows if they'll even run in the screen. I'd imagine for TV purposes they yeah, would have it, something. And it would be interesting. And and that's kind of the point. So, like, with Ballpark Village being set up the way that it is here in St. Louis, A, you have this, the seats that they sell on a regular basis across the street. So, like, yeah. you could easily sell some of those seats, and they wouldn't be anywhere remotely close to – the players, players. Yep. you also have situations where like you could sell like every other like every other section type seats up in those pleads and just limit and like tell people straight up like hey like you can come as a group but we require you know five seats in between you and no one can sit in the row in front or behind you so like you're, you're gonna have to be staggered in that regard um yeah but do you want to make your ushers like enforce that i like because I guess you don't be doing that. Right. Mm-hmm. I guess I guess you don't you don't want it to be a big deal, but it's just one of those things like, hey, like if you want to be here, you know, this is what you gotta do. Like maybe tickets are sold at a lower price. Um yeah, like you could do things where like, hey, like we aren't gonna have concessions, but you're able to bring in a small cooler, but it's gonna be it's gonna have to be searched. Yeah, That'd like you dope. need to have clear bags That'd and be dope. Yeah, like clear bags and you can only have like we gotta like have clear bags now. Right, that's what I'm saying. I, I mean, like in the in the container, like you can't bring well, something can, like aluminum foil. Bush Stadium, you can already bring like a quick trip cup, right? 
Um, I don't, I don't I see know. people walking in with their own cups all the time. I'm pretty sure the last game I've been at, I brought in my own cup. And I think they asked me to open it, but I don't think they did anything to it. But I'm pretty sure I brought my own cup in. And yeah, you can bring some snacks and stuff. Yeah, and I know you but. can bring in, like, water bottles as long as they're sealed. So just be yeah. stuff like that. Like, hey, like, like, hey, uh, adhere to these rules. You can bring in soda. You can bring in water bottles. Like, we aren't going to permit alcohol to be in here just to make it easy. You know, yep. whatever. So you don't have to worry about carding people at the at the gate. We're not charging $10 a beer, so right. we're just going to do no beer. Yeah, we're just not going to do beer. Something along those lines. I think there's a way to certainly make it happen. Obviously, first and foremost, you need to make sure that it's safe for people to be around each other. You don't want, you know, you don't want it spreading. Um, it, it does allow, like, yeah, you probably don't want the ushers to do it, but maybe it's something that you can, like, have the concession guys enforce. Like, the people that would normally be there just working for tips. Maybe they would come in and do that for, you know, 10 bucks for the game, 20 bucks for the game. You know, something along those lines. 30 bucks for the game, 10 bucks an hour. Uh, something along those lines. Like, you could find a means to make it work and still bring in some sort of profit and allow people to take it in. Like, I've, I've been to plenty of games at Bush Stadium where I've sat in nosebleed, and the view isn't bad. Um, you have, like, the whole uh, Budweiser Terrace section that's standing room only. Like, all of those seats there are pretty good that are normally first come, first serve. So, like, if, if you just put in rules of that, like, maybe not right away, but I think as you get, like, halfway into the season, stuff like that, maybe you start to open it up a little bit um, just to try to get something out of the season. Um, and I, that's where I think, like, some of the negotiations went south. It's like, hey, like, take the pay cut now, but if we're able to get players – like, if we're, if we're able to get fans in, players will get X percent of ticket sales for this season. The season will, you know – Something along those lines. I don't know. But but we'll see how it goes. We're we're already off topic. We're already off on a different tangent yeah. of that's how the inter- we, that's how the plan. That's how the inner league happens, dude. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um so so I said uh pitchers and catchers will report first, then the position players just like a standard spring training. Um each team was allowed to invite sixty players to camp and that list had to be provided to MLB by Sunday. Um, a lot of them have been made public. The Cardinals are one of the ones that haven't. Um, the Cardinals only invited 44 players to camp, but the other 16 spots, they are just having go straight to, um, their alternate site, which I think they're doing it in Memphis. Um, but so there'll be, um, so you'll carry 30, 30 guys on your roster. Um, and then to start the season, then the other 30 guys will be stationed at whatever this alternate site is or however many players you carry. Um, and those will be the only players that you can carry, that you can add to your player pool, essentially. So that would be like your AAA is the way I view it. Yeah. Yeah, your call-up squad. Yeah. Um, or what are they calling it? A taxi. Well, a taxi so, so, the, so the taxi team's a little bit different because um, that's only in effect when you're on when you're on a road trip. Okay. And so that it, it can be up to three players, but if it is three players, one of them has to be a catcher. And those guys are players that will travel with you in the case that someone were to get hurt. So that way they aren't trying to get someone to travel last minute. Um, so that way you're able to determine like, Hey, I need to be able to carry like these 26 guys are going to come with us. And then we have these three other guys. That's what we're, this is what we're going to work with. Um, so this is everyone accounted for. So everyone can get testing. Everyone can do everything they need to do. All of that good stuff. Like you have room, you have travel set up for everyone. 
if someone gets hurt on the first day of a six-day road trip, then you're not trying to bring, you know, like, okay, let's let's get this guy up here from Memphis now, and now we got to work out the logistics to have this person travel. They By also tomorrow. need to be tested. Yeah. So, yeah. like, that that's what the taxi team's supposed to do. Uh, so I would imagine that most teams will probably just carry the three guys, but one of them will be a catcher, so you probably won't ever really see them get in, but they will be with the, with the club. Um, I also don't know how the schedule is going to work in that regard, so it'll be it'll be interesting to kind of see how it all plays out. Um, so before we get into schedule, though, uh, so I made notes on like the health and, health and safety, health and safety. I don't know why I had such a hard time saying that. <laughs> so this is where I think like MLB is kind of doing the right thing. So players, coaches, and staff will be tested every other day during training camps, uh, throughout the regular season and the postseason. Um, anybody testing positive will immediately be quarantined and must have two negative tests before being eligible to return. Players will also receive temperature uh, and or symptom checks at least twice per day. And antibody testing will be done approximately once per month. Uh, and what the antibody test is, is it'll help identify people that may have been exposed but were asymptomatic. So if your body has built up antibodies towards this virus, they can identify that now apparently. And if you've done that, like if you have these antibodies present, then that means you have had the virus and have since fought it off. So you don't currently have it, but you did have it. So they you would be able carrier. to, yeah. So they would be able to say like, Hey, people around you might've been exposed. And then they can take the, the, uh, necessary actions, I guess, whatever, whatever the health groups decide, like, Hey, this is what we do in those scenarios. Um, so I feel like, MLB, as most sports, um, they've kind of, like, we're, we're going to follow the lead on, like, what the CDC and who allows us to do, um, so we'll kind of take their lead, get suggestions from them, and try best to adhere to those things. Uh, so, to get in, um, the opening day in the schedule, so games are slated to begin July 23rd and 24th, so we're, like, a little less than a month away from meaningful baseball, um, but again, that's as long as there's no other health setbacks, like a second outbreak, something along those lines. Like all the Phillies players getting COVID. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah, what was it? There's like uh, six teams or whatever that reported positive yeah. <laughs> things. Like back like after, and that was after, since the time frame that they said like, hey, we're, uh, we, we're going to be there July 1st. And then all this shit came out. Yeah. Um, so teams will play 60 games in the regular season and will be limited to regional opponents to mitigate travel. Uh, it's expected that teams will play 40 games against the other teams in their division. Um, it's like the Cardinals will play Milwaukee, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, and the Cubs. I would assume that it would be a fair schedule. So essentially you would play like 10 games against each of those teams, five of them at home and five of them away. Um, and then you will play 20 games against the five teams in the same division of the other leagues, so like the NL Central versus the AL Central. Um, I've seen no mention of what this breakdown will be at all, but logically, to me, it would make sense to just be five games against each of those teams. Um, but the MLB doesn't really seem to focus on fair schedules, so I have no idea what they'll do. Uh, the other side of it, too, is it wouldn't necessarily always be fair. If it's five games, you can't have, like, say, so like the Indians, for example. The Indians can't play five games at home against every one of the NL Central teams because then they'll have extra home games. Or they can't, like, of their five games, they can't play three games at home 
against all of those teams because then the NL teams won't have enough home games kind of thing, or right. the Indians will have more home games than other teams in the AL Central. So it can't really be that. So it might be a situation where, like, the Brewers play three at Cleveland, two at Milwaukee, but the Cardinals play three at St. Louis, two at Cleveland. So it, it won't necessarily always be fair, but you'll at least play the Indians five times. Um, the other aspect of that is I don't know how the series will work. Typically a series is only two, three, or four games. Um, but you could very well see that they just go to five-game series, so you only have to travel to a city once. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, you know, it's like you aren't going to see, like, all right, we're going go to we're gonna go to Chicago for two games, and then we're going to go back to Chicago at another point for three. Um, you might just say, like, hey, we're going to play them five times. And, like, everyone just rotates. Okay, play your five games, rotate. Play your five games, rotate. It's like everyone's just traveling on the same days. You know, that kind of stuff. The schedule stays even. Yeah. So that that's what I'm thinking it's going to be, is that you're essentially... a lot of off days anyway, right? Uh, yeah, I think... So you figure if they start um, July 23rd and 24th, I think they, need, they were saying that they're going to be done by, like, September 27th. So what is that? Two months? So I, I think it's like, or like they'll be done by the end of September. So it's like 66 days that they'll have for 60 games. Um, so, I mean, it's only six off days or it's like 64 days or something like that. So it's only like four, four to six off days. And that's if they don't schedule double headers. Um, but the other side of it too, is like, if you're going to do the, um, the three, two split with the AL teams, then those you'll just have everyone do interleague during the same time frame. And again, I think that that would be ideal. So you're shifting everyone on the same day. So it's not like, oh, well, we're like, it isn't a situation where like you're playing teams as they travel in and you've been at home this whole time. Like you're going to see teams shifting around about the same amount of times playing teams on shorter rest and stuff like that just to try to keep it a level playing field so the schedule doesn't absolutely screw somebody because 60 games in 66 days is a lot of baseball so yeah um, but again they, they haven't really got into it i don't know if when we will see the semblance of a schedule um or anything along those lines um they still haven't even determined all of the rule changes that'll go into effect but they have determined a lot of them um so as we mentioned, teams will open with an uh, with a 30-man active roster, uh, which is five extra players from 2019 and four more than what was expected in 2020. Um, after two weeks of the regular season, they'll have to cut that to 28, and then they'll cut it again to 26 after another two weeks. So after four weeks into the season, it'll be back down to that 26, 26-man uh, um, active roster. Uh, there's no note of what the 14 players on the 40 main roster that aren't on the active roster will do in the downtime, um, but I would assume they'll be with the pool of players that'll be called up. So like, 34 players will just be like for the Cardinals will be in Memphis, you know, something along those lines. Uh, the trade deadline is being pushed back to August 31st. Uh, it's typically July 31st. Uh, for players to be eligible for the postseason, they must be added to a roster by September 15th. Uh, typically, this is September 1st, so a little shifts there. The big one for me, which I think will be awesome and will hopefully stick with the league forever moving forward, is the DH rule will be in effect for all games in both leagues. And I don't um, think you ever see the pitchers in again. That's, once it's done once, I think we're in DH yeah, land. I, yeah, I, I, 
when they originally talked about it being implemented for 2020 and 2021, I was like, great, this will lead up to the CBA. Everyone will see how amazing it is, and it'll just easily be thrown in. Both sides won't even negotiate over it. It won't be used as a chip. Everyone will just want it, and it'll be fine. I'm only getting it for 2020, but, but we'll see how it goes. I, yeah. I still feel confident. I think that they've played under two separate rules. It's been the dumbest thing in baseball for a really long time. Uh, it's one of the things I really wanted to change. Um, and we'll uh, go from there. The next thing I want to see change is I want it to be a fair schedule. I think it's crazy to me that they can't make an even schedule for all teams over 162 games. Uh, all teams being in your same division. I, th- I, I think if the Cardinals are directly competing against the Cubs, they should play the same schedule. Not necessarily the, the same teams at the same time, obviously, but they should play the same number of games against the, the same opponents, and that should determine what it is. But I digress. Dude, I... Data and stuff like that's really hard, though. So, uh, yeah, I imagine it's super complicated to make schedule. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Um, so as Analytics we mentioned, is way easier. So. Yeah. So as we mentioned, teams can carry up to three taxi squad players on the road during the season. Uh, this allows for more controlled travel, no last-minute travel needed in the case of an injury. If a team does carry three, one must be a catcher, or they could carry one or two, and neither have to be a catcher. Um. Games that go in extra innings during the regular season will have a runner start on second base in each half inning. That'll be the batter who made the final out in the previous inning or a pinch runner for that batter. I don't know how I feel about this. Yeah, that's kind of weird. Um, it is something that they utilize in, like, the, um, what is it, the MLB Classic? I forget what they call it. I can't, I can't think of what the actual name is for it. But anyway, the, like the, the international comp- yeah, the international yeah. competition. I can't think of the name off the top of my head. Uh, World Baseball Classic. That's what it is. Um, so it's something that, they, that they've utilized there. Um, I know it's what they do like in the KBO. So it, it's seen success at professional levels. Um, I get why they're doing it here with it being such a condensed schedule. I don't, I don't think I'm a huge fan of it. Um, I don't know if I'm going to care for it. I don't know how much strategy it's going to come into. The other aspect is that a lot of times it is a runner starts on second, but with one out is what Kansas City rules are. Um, And the idea is that you then can't just sack a runner over and then hit a sack fly and drive a run in, that you actually need to get a hit still to drive the run in, but it seemingly should speed things up. Um, You're going to score more often with a man on second and one out than you would with bases loaded and are with no outs and no, or no outs and no one on. I don't, I'm struggling tonight. Um, so it'll it'll be interesting. I'm up for it. I understand why they're doing it here, but I really hope I initial reaction. I hope it goes away after the 2020 season, but who knows? It might be a lot of fun. Um, it, yeah. You know, and it's As, only extra it's, innings. I'm, I'm so in, but... yeah, it's only extra innings. Um, so hopefully it won't come up. I don't know. I didn't look at like the number of games that went into extra innings last year or anything like that. So it may be a small percentage of games that it even impacts. But yeah, we'll we'll see. I'll I'll let them try it out. And I'll take I'll I'll hopefully see it in action before I hate on it. Um, I know I was kind of on the fence about the three on three hockey and then straight into a shootout for the NHL uh, for overtime. And I, yeah, and I thoroughly enjoy it. So um, so like I said I, I will definitely give it its due diligence before I start to bash it completely. But my initial reaction is not a positive one. Uh, but well, I've definitely been wrong before. A shootout in baseball would be like you get to throw whatever pitcher you want out at the mound and you have a small home run derby. 
Like we get to pick our batter, you get to pick your pitcher, you know, whoever hits the most home runs wins. Well, I would imagine that not a lot of home runs would be hit because I'm assuming they're not lobbing them up. <laughs> yeah, dude. And let's, like, get a fan. Get a guy from the stands. <laughs> get a guy from the stands. <laughs> uh, what's his name? Rosengarden. Yeah, Ro- <laughs> Roman Gardner. Yeah, Roman Gardner. Um, so there will be a 10-day injured list for both pitchers and hitters, um, but the 60-day injured list is being reduced to 45 days. Um, and there will be a separate injured list for players who either test positive or have symptoms and or confirmed exposure to COVID-19. And there's no maximum or minimum days for that IL. Uh, so they will be treated differently. Um, with all of this, MLB's uh, transaction freeze was lifted as of 12 p.m. Eastern on Friday. There have been actually quite a lot of things that have happened, but in our realm, there's really only been three. Um, and two of them were kind of already known to be coming. Um, so the Yankees placed Luis Severino on the quote-unquote 60-day uh, IL or 45 day, I guess in this case, um, due to his Tommy John surgery that he had in February due to a UCL tear. Um, and then they signed Matt Duffy to a minor league deal. He played infield for the Giants and Rays. Like nothing, nothing amazing, but a decent depth piece potentially. Um, so we'll see. He just kind of plays the left side of the infield. Um, and then the Cardinals place Brebia on the 45 day IL uh, for his Tommy John surgery that he underwent at the beginning of June. Yeah. So, uh, obviously, Severino and Brebbia, we knew once the freeze came down at some point, it was going to happen. Um, Severino will be out all of this year and would be back, assuming baseball starts at the normal time in 2021. Um, he would be there for opening day. Uh, Brebbia, you're probably looking. It's usually a year for a relief pitcher. The, re- the, um, the recovery time can be less. So, it might be more like May could could oh, excuse me could potentially be the beginning of the season um but you're probably looking into you know potentially into june at the latest for brevio penny no setbacks so that kind of sucks i know he was expected to be kind of up for one of the closer roles with hicks being down but hicks should be back relatively quick into the season um but i guess relatively quick into the season at this point so i think he's due back like july-ish so it should be maybe like the first two weeks he's out, but I haven't heard much about that yet. Yeah, and I think Gallegos will do a pretty good job anyway. Yeah, ton, tons of options for closers in yeah. St. Louis. Um, so we'll see. Uh, it's just unfortunately, like in this case, like a couple blown saves could really, you know, really screw over your season. So, um, yeah. So ho- hopefully it doesn't happen, but. I think they do have one of the deeper bullpen options for guys that can come in and close. Like they didn't really, they don't really have like that shut down guy that they've needed before. Um, they've had a lot of guys that have had success in that role. So I think they'll be all right. Yeah. Um, so in addition to testing uh, team personnel and players not likely to participate in the game will be sitting in the stands or another area designated by the club. Um, they will be practicing social distancing as it's going on. Um, non-playing personnel will wear masks in the dugout and bullpen at all times. And then, as we've talked about before, there's no spitting or chewing tobacco, um, but gum is permitted. Uh, no celebratory contacts, so high fives, fist bumps, hugs, etc. And then there's uh, no note of what sort of punishment will be enforced if players break these rules. So we'll we'll see kind of how that goes about. So some fun rule changes we'll get to see maybe 
a new, like a future look, kind of a, a peek into the future of what baseball could look like after 2021. Yeah. Um, but uh, all in all, I think it's they're they're understandable changes given this. I'm really glad that they've opted to go the route that hey, we're just going to make adjustments to 2020, and then we'll talk about 2021 when we get there. Um, because these all could bomb, and then you don't have to revoke or renegotiate. You're just like, hey, now like these suck, so let's not do that anymore. Yeah. Um, so as I made mention to Chris before we started, I looked at some fun facts, like looking at if the 2019 season was only 60 games. Um, and I, it's like, I, I guess I could have picked like any 60 game slice, but I just started with like the first 60 games. I was like, Hey, if they, if this is where it started, everyone was like, Oh no. Cause it would have been really hard to say like, what, what was everyone's record here? It would have made life more complicated for me. So I don't want to do yeah. that. Um, okay. so if, if the. 2019 season was only 60 games. It would have ended during the first week of June, so we would already be done with baseball. We'd be nearing the World Series at this point. Um, the Yankees, Twins, Astros, Rays, Rangers, Dodgers, Cubs, Brewers, Phillies, Braves would have been the teams making the playoffs. Um, so it would have been seven out of the ten teams that actually made the playoffs would have been in the playoffs. Um, both the NL Central and NL East would have had a tie for the division, but all four of those teams would have made the playoffs. So the Cubs in Milwaukee and the Phillies in Atlanta both would have tied for the division lead. Um, Cardinals actually missed the playoffs by two games, and the Washington Nationals were 27-33. and 33. I think they were like six games out in their first 60 games, and uh, as we know, that's who went on to win the 2019 World Series. So they would have missed the playoffs by like six games if baseball was only 60 games long last year. <laughs> um, 33 wins was the lowest total to make the playoffs. Um, I believe that was Chicago and Milwaukee. That's who tied there. Um, and then the Dodgers led the way with a 41 and 19 record. So That's when I when I saw that, I was like, crushed their division. <laughs> and I was like, maybe their simulation isn't isn't that inaccurate. <laughs> you know, like the Dodgers got off to a ridiculous start last year too. Yeah. Um, the Cardinals just, and Braves. Uh, go ahead. What were we gonna say? I say then they just have to play the playoffs and they have to play other teams that aren't in their division more often, and they lose. Yeah. Um. So of the teams that actually won their division, um, last year. So this is more of a full season thing. Uh, so the Cardinals and Braves had the worst record against same division opponents out of all division winning teams. Uh, they both went 46 and 30. Um, where I find this to be significant is because that's going to be what um, 67% of your schedule this year is going to be against the same division, 40 of your 60 games. Yeah. Um, and the Astros had the best record at 56 and 20 against their own division. Um, I think the Yankees were at like 53 wins. Um, I think the Dodgers were like 54 wins or something like that uh, against their division. But all every team that won the division did pretty well. I mean, 16 games above 500 isn't anything to shake your head at. Um, and that was the worst of it with the Cardinals and Braves. So yeah. Um, so yeah. yeah so just uh, just some fun facts. Quite often. Yeah. yeah. So just some fun facts. So I think it was uh, the Cardinals, the Nationals, and Oakland were the teams that didn't make it. Um, and in their places, it was Texas, um, the Cubs, and the Phillies were the three teams that had made the playoffs, that would have made the playoffs at 60 games, that didn't make the playoffs at all. 
Um, but in in the AL, the seeding actually would have remained the exact same, um, just replaced Texas with Oakland. But Houston had the best record, then the Yankees, then Minnesota, Tampa Bay was the top wild card, and then Oakland was the number five team. That's where Texas was. And I'm pretty sure that's exactly how it worked out with with swapping out Oakland and Texas. So I was like, oh, the AL was pretty much figured out 60 games then. Yeah, that's, you know, got a couple teams beating up on everybody. No big deal. Yeah. Um, so as we also talked about uh, with the 2020 simulation for baseball reference, give a our quick little update on that. Um, I haven't heard any news that they're not going to continue to do it. I've kind of been keeping an eye on their website the last couple days. Uh, so I guess as long as they continue to do it, we'll keep you updated. Um, right now, we've kind of been giving you an update on the standings, what's up, what's up next on the schedule, and then like any transactions. Uh, I would imagine we'll probably just scale it back as just like a quick check-in on like, hey, here's, here's what the simulated season shows for standings, um, and kind of keep it going from there. I know we talked about it a little bit last episode, but I think that's a good fit. But it's kind of been more of the same. Um, so over the last seven days, we covered the Cardinals played Miami and Boston. They had their seven-game road trip. They went five and two on that road trip. Uh, they split with Miami and then swept the Red Sox. Swept so, the Red Sox. So we got, yeah, hey. so we got that going for us. Um, so the Cardinals are now 55 and 29, uh, still in first in the NL Central. Killing uh, it. Ten games up on Milwaukee, 15 and a half up on Pittsburgh, 19 up on Cincinnati and a massive 23 games up on the Chicago Cubs. Um, it's a rough year. Yeah, their division lead remained the same. They were 10 games up last week. So even after, uh, at least I'm pretty sure they were. Let me double yeah, check. Oh, uh, wait, no, they were nine and a half. Left. Yeah, they were nine and a half. So, they're, so yeah. they picked up their half game back. Um, but 10 games up, you know, what, 75 games in the – 75, 85 games into the season. Yeah, uh, feeling pretty confident. It's pretty yeah. good. Pretty good division lead. Um, they're second in the NL, uh, still behind the Dodgers. The Dodgers are 65 and 19. It's so dumb. It's the dumbest thing in the world. Um, so, yeah, Dodgers are doing pretty good. Um, the Yankees, on the so, other hand, go ahead. So, hold on. They've only lost 19 games in the simulation. And if they only play 16 games, 60 games, they went 41 and 19. That's pretty insane. Yeah, well, the both scenarios they lose nineteen games. Yeah, the one so, they played way more games. So, well, the forty-one and nineteen is what the Dodgers' record actually was through sixty games in two thousand nineteen. Yeah. So the yeah. simulation, well, we were like, dude, this is totally skewed. Like, this is crap. There's no way this is what the Dodgers did. The Dodgers are not going to be this good. This is some video game numbers, but it's not far off. I mean, forty-one wins. 41 and 19 is not 65 and 19 that they'd obviously have to rattle off 24 straight wins, which would be a huge deal yeah. um, um, to have gotten there last year, but it's still, it's, that's pretty impressive. I mean, to yeah. be, to be 20 games above 506 games into the season is insane. I would be very happy if the Yankees do that. If the yeah, Yankees go yeah. 40, if the Yankees go 40 and 20 in this shortened season, I will be very happy. Hell yeah. Unless unless they needed to go forty one and nineteen to make the playoffs, then I'll be pissed. So, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. If the Yankees don't make the playoffs, I'm gonna be real mad. We're playing we're playing most of our games against our division, which includes Baltimore and Toronto. <laughs> like, like we the Yankees should have a pretty good record. I mean, Boston doesn't look all that great. Yeah, like, like our biggest competition is the Tampa Bay Rays. I mean, they're not a bad team, don't get me wrong. I mean Tampa Bay was there last year, but 
that it shouldn't be a problem. The Yankees should win their division, make the playoffs. <laughs> if the Yankees don't make the playoffs in the short season, uh, it won't have, count to me. It won't I count might, to me. I might have to like host a show without me or without yeah. you or something. Like, yeah. like now nah, I'm, I'm taking a couple weeks off. Yeah. I'm like the in, 2020 no. season didn't even happen. I'm yeah. only going to talk about the simulated season from baseball reference. That's all I'm going to talk about. <laughs> oh, dude. All right. <laughs> so, fair. so on the other side, um, Yankees had six games at home over the last seven days. Um, against Baltimore and against the Cubs over the weekend. Um, they did not sweep the Cubs, but they did win both series, took two of three from both Baltimore and Chicago, went four and two, uh, bringing their record up to 52 and 32. Um, they are also first place in their division in the AL East, uh, nine and a half games up on Tampa Bay. They gained a game again this week, um, 16 games up on Boston, and then 17 up on both Toronto and Baltimore. Um, so Baltimore doing much better this year than what they did last year. Like they're yep. way they're way closer in the simulated season than what they were in the actual 2019 season at this point in the season. So, uh, I guess Orioles fans have that to hang their head on, um, that maybe the season won't be over at the All Star break. Um, hell, this mm. and and this year it definitely won't be. Like their season's just starting. This will probably be the first time <laughs> that Baltimore's been tied for the division lead at the All Star break in God knows how long. Sure. Um. So yeah, I mean a lot. Hell. Maybe that's something I should have looked at. With 60 games left to go in the season, how many teams pretty much had their season over already? Maybe maybe I'll look at that for, for next week. Um, so at, like, the 102-game mark, what were the standings? And, like, who knew, like, pretty much their season was done. Um, so, again, uh, coming up for the Cardinals, uh, they have uh, another seven games in seven days, um, this time all at home. Um, pretty tough competitors. Four against the Nationals, three against the Brewers, and the Yankees go on the road for three at Baltimore and then three at Toronto. So, pick, bringing up the rear of that that division, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully we can extend our our division <laughs> lead to. Those we're talking about specs right there. Yeah, like, so they don't go six and zero. Yeah, there's a problem. Yep. So we'll see what it is. Chances are how how it usually works for me whenever I watch the Yankees play these teams, they lose. So since I can't watch the simulations, I'm sure they will go 6-0, and or at least like 5-1, and something along those lines. If I were watching this in real life, tuning in for all six of these games, they'd go 3-3, three and three, hands down. Um, it, there, one of the games would be like Garrett Cole pitches seven scoreless innings, eight scoreless innings, and the, <laughs> and the Yankees lose one nothing uh, on a walk-off or you know something stupid like that. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's kind of where, where we're at. Um, takes us into uh, kind of our, our created content, our, our all wildcard era teams. Um, tonight we get to cover second base. Um, so as usual, I guess to, to kick it off, I have my, my little blurb about second baseman, but I'm going to get a drink here real quick because I talk too much. I do like the blurbs. Yeah, I, I just kind of make shit up. I, I guess okay. I don't know like fair so so we'll go but th- most of these are like pretty much all of them have been typed out and I usually just read them verbatim so uh, we'll, we'll see how this goes so here we go blur about second baseman so second base is typically home to the little guy uh, those scrappy type ball players who are pesky at the plate but seemingly are all over the right side of the infield uh, this is t- the typical makeup given the need to range far to their left as the first baseman holds a runner on as well as be at the bag to turn a vital double play. Uh, quick feet and soft hands go a long way for this role, and some of the biggest names in the game have called this position home from Joe Morgan, Rogers Hornsby, 
uh, Jackie Robinson to more modern names like Craig Biggio, Dustin Pedroia, and Jose Altuve, all of whom were under six feet tall. Uh, typically, this position is played by someone who throws right-handed for two reasons. Uh, the glove being on their left hand offers more range to that direction, so towards first. And throwing right-handed makes it quicker to plant and throw from second to first base. Um, it's so rare, in fact, that the last time a left-handed thrower played second base for at least an out in a game. Do you want to take a guess at what year it was? Not even who it was or who they played for, but what year it was. I would take a guess, but I'm staring at your notes. So. Oh, all right, you cheated. Um, I didn't so, know you were gonna make me guess. So. I I didn't know you're I didn't know you were gonna stare at my notes. Uh, but anyway, for all of those not at home that don't have the ability to cheat, it was Follow along with the content. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, Don Mattingly with the Yankees, and the year was 1983. Um, fun fact about that is this happened as more of a mockery after the ruling was made to complete the rest of the famed George Brett Pintar incident. Um, so I'm sure everyone has seen the clip of George Brett losing his mind after he hit the home run and he got called out for pine tar on his bat. What everyone forgets is that that game was finished under protest. The Royals won that protest and they played out the rest of that game. The Yankees made a mockery of it and played players all over the place where they didn't normally play and they lost. <laughs> so, right. But there was only like there's two outs in the ni- top of the ninth with the Royals up by one at that point after Brett hit his home run. So it was a very minimal time frame to come back. Um, so yeah, so now that you have that, uh, that fun bit of knowledge, uh, we can get on our selections at second base. Cool. And, uh, as usual, we will go over the eligible players for the list. Um, you can keep me honest to make sure I don't miss anybody as I've been known to do previously. I've got to switch over to my <laughs> notes now, make sure we get all the players in. Fair enough. Uh, so for the Cardinals, um, I have, uh, so, and again, this is anyone that had played in 150 games at second base or they were in the top five of games played for that position. Um, so it'll guarantee that we have at least five people to choose from. Um, and that goes from 1995, the 1995 season through 2019 season. So for the Cardinals, we have Colton Wong, uh, Fernando Vina, Skip Schumacher, Aaron Miles, Delino DeShields, Matt Carpenter, Adam Kennedy, Daniel Descalzo, and Placido Polanco. For the Yankees, we have Robinson Cano, Alfonso Soriano, Chuck Knobloch, Starlin Castro, Glaber Torres, Miguel Cairo, and Stephen Drew. Yep, that's cool. the list I got. Yeah. All right. I didn't forget anybody. Page. Sorry, Ray Langford. Sorry, mm-hmm. Ray Langford. Um, I guess it's also worth noting that as uh, – one of the other, like, I guess really the only other rule we have for this right now is that you only can select a player to one position. So if you tuned in to last week's episode um, about third baseman, you know that my choice was Matt Carpenter for the Cardinals. So Matt Carpenter is actually not available to me to choose for the Cardinals in this aspect. Um, I, I know I made my decision. I've been told adamantly by people that I made the wrong decision and that Matt Carpenter should clearly be at second base with Scott Rowland at third. I imagine that there's a strong possibility that this is the route that Chris will go, given that he picked Scott Rowland at third base. But I stand by my decision. You can't make me change it. Hey, no, that's fair. Uh, I think looking, I'm sure we're probably between the same two people in that. And I think you hit it pretty uh, well uh before we started was 
that really just looking at the Cardinals second baseman was just trying to make an argument for like mediocre baseball. Yeah. Like yep. it's it was fun to watch, like cool because you're rooting for him, but like the numbers don't help either one of these guys. Yeah, it was a uh, it was a long line of mediocrity yeah. from I like, on on both sides. Real like I don't know. I I this is a rare situation where like it wasn't very hard for me to make a decision, but I feel like I had a bias going into it. Like I had kind of made my mind up, um, even with like it. I don't want to say it didn't play a part in my decision last week, um, but how how my approach to this has been for any position is that I'm going to choose the best player available at a position. And mm. I, I try to put, like I try to take into consideration like what their true position really was outside of where else they necessarily qualify for. Uh, so yeah. like we kind of ran into that with Pujols that he was eligible for left field for the Cardinals. But really like we, we both know like if you were to say like, Oh, what position did Albert Pujols play? He was the first baseman. So right. for me, for me, like, I get that Carpenter played a lot of second base, but he played significantly more third base. And with the argument that I could see with where his numbers were at with comparing to Roland, it's it's the decision that I talked myself into that he was the best third baseman, which may or may not have handicapped me here at second base because Carpenter probably would be the hands-down decision here. But I had someone else in mind, and I'm going to try my best to make an argument to make my Carpenter third decision not look so bad. <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, so I, I I don't know how you want to, how you want to start this. We, we don't really have a rhyme or reason to it. Um, we can either, we can, we can do either or I don't, I don't know. Um, I, let's start talking about the Cardinals and then I'd say, let's just break down our players. And then I think we're probably down to the same two people and let's just kind of go through like where we're at. Cause honestly, I could be swayed the other way and like, my opinions on like if i was going to say like i like one more than the other probably not so um we'll start right. with the cardinals and we'll kind of go through and see what happens here all right well so i <clears throat> so i i kind of just took took the list and i went through like okay i have these nine guys i did my initial list um i cut my list down um and then i kind of built an argument for each one so I'm going to do it a little differently than what I have done. I'm just going to kind of read my blurbs as I remove them off my list, uh, but not necessarily tell you who my initial list is. And then you'll you'll just get to see it. So the last person I go over here will be who I pick. So if at any point after any one of these names, if you want to add anything, let me know. Cool? All right, cool. And we'll start yep. with the Cardinals. Uh, so first and foremost, um, I, I gave Matt Carpenter his, his due diligence. Um, easily stated, it's definitely a, a pretty solid choice here. Um, but as I stuck to my approach in choosing the best player available at a position, Carpenter played three times as many games at third base as he did at second as a Cardinal so far. And plus I had an inkling on who I was going to pick for this spot. There isn't much for me to say here other than Matt Carpenter can't be my choice. So he isn't my choice. Fair. All right. Uh, uh, I'll go, I'll go over Matt Carpenter in a little bit. Okay. Um, so next up I took, uh, looked into Aaron miles, played the Cardinals from 06 to 08. Uh, he was traded to the Cardinals in the offseason before the 06 season from Colorado uh, and a deal for the well-known Ray King. Um, in his stint with the Cardinals, it was like three-plus seasons. Uh, Aaron Miles is extremely serviceable. He batted 289, uh, 335 uh, on base percentage, 363 slugging percentage, uh, but clearly offered very little in power categories. He only hit eight home runs with 93 RBIs in those like three-plus seasons. 
Um, he did have another little short stint for part of the 2010 season. Uh, appeared in 79 games. Again, he batted 281, 311, 317 was what he slashed. Struck out very little. It was around like 9.5% of his plate appearances for his career. Uh, he also played a handful of games at third base and shortstop in his time with St. Louis. And in 2007, 2008, he mainly platooned at second with Adam Kennedy. So I said, put up solid numbers, but not enough to earn the nod um, overall in the company that he had. Um, you're going to hear that a lot. Very serviceable, decent numbers, very mediocre. They didn't jump off the page, but no one was really bad. And these yep. stretch of times really existed around each other. Um, yep. So then I had uh, Skip Schumacher. Uh, he was with the Cardinals from 2005 to 2011. So it was a total of eight seasons, but it wasn't until 2007 that Schumacher really earned a stable place in the big league roster. And that was as an outfielder. And then not until the following year that he started to play every day. And that was also as an outfielder. So 2007, I think he played like 88 games, finally became an everyday player as a left fielder in 2008. Then for in 2009, before, uh, before the 2009 season, the Cardinals released Adam Kennedy, I don't know what happened to Aaron Miles. Um, he's just no longer a Cardinal. <laughs> I, I didn't, and I only don't know. Yeah, I only don't know because I didn't look. Because when I was looking at Aaron Miles' numbers, he split. He split so much time with Adam Kennedy. When I read that Cardinals released Adam Kennedy, I was like, Oh yeah, that's what happened to Aaron Miles. Adam Kennedy got released, <laughs> and it yeah, it wasn't yeah. until I'm reading back my notes and I'm like, I totally talked about Aaron Miles, and then they released Adam Kennedy, and I didn't mention what happened to Aaron Miles. Either way, he he left St. Louis. I don't know if he got traded or what the deal was, but he's no longer a Cardinal in 2009. Um, so when they released Adam Kennedy, uh, they began working with Schumacher to play second base. Um, he had played shortstop in college. Obviously, Jose Akendo, really good defensive infielder, his third base coach for the Cardinals at the time. So they uh, had him work with Schumacher, and he ended up becoming the everyday starter in 2009 for second base. Um, so between 2007 and 2012, um, the six seasons when Schumacher saw a prominent playing time, he batted 291, uh, 348 on base percentage, and 380 slugging percentage, uh, 22 home runs, 208 RBIs, 328 runs scored. Again, great numbers. Batting 290 over six seasons is nothing to shake your head at. It's pretty amazing, in my opinion. Um, really, really good. Um, after not being a part of the 2006 championship run, Schumacher did have key moment in, the 2000, in 2011 when the Cardinals won another title. Uh, he had the game, uh, the only, uh, the hit that drove in the only run in Game 5 of the NLDS versus the Phillies. Um, if anyone listening to this does not know that game, it was Chris Carpenter versus Roy Halladay. Arguably one of the better postseason games I've ever seen. You should find a YouTube clip of it or something. Go back and watch the game. It's pretty amazing. Um, then after being left off the uh, NLCS roster, he played in six games in the World Series. Um, obviously, 2011 World Series went seven games. Uh, his numbers weren't great in the World Series. Um, again, good, high average, minimal pop, good defense, moved around, played for a long time. Pretty mediocre, solid overall second baseman, but wasn't enough to earn the nod for me here. Uh, so next on the list, uh, I don't know if you had anything about Aaron Miles or Skip Schumacher that you wanted to add. Um, no, I think you covered a lot. I wasn't like the biggest Aaron Miles guy while I was here. And Skip Schumacher, I think, follows a long line of like Cardinals players that you can say like you liked because they played the game hard. They played it right. They were serviceable every day. You know what you were going to get out of them. Uh, 
But yeah, that's why I'd leave it with Skip Schumacher as well. Cool. All right. So then I have Fernando Vina. Uh, he was with the Cardinals from 2000 to 2003. Uh, Cardinals traded the Brewers for Vina prior to the 2000 season and brought him in to solidify the infield defensively and give them a solid leadoff hitter. In the four seasons that uh, Vina spent with St. Louis, he batted 285, um, base percentage 349, uh, slugging percentage 384. Uh, so he had 18 home runs, 164 RBIs, 286 runs scored. So pretty standard second base type numbers offensively. Um, especially for a leadoff hitter. Nothing nothing terrible, nothing amazing. Uh, defensively, he did what he was expected. He had a fielding percentage of uh, 9.84. It was 37 errors over the course of 4,100 innings. Uh, 4,150, to be exact. Um, so very minimal errors, very good fielding percentage for second baseman. Uh, he was basically exactly what the Cardinals expected. But after leaving the Cardinals, news came out of the steroid usage. Um, mm-hmm. Definitely not one of the guys that believe this is the end of the world if someone got caught for steroids or whatever. But I do think it furthers LaRusso's saga as the godfather of steroids because I truly <laughs> think he was. Um, I think there's a lot of signs that point towards that like, he was just okay with it being in his clubhouse. And, you know, teach their own, whatever, not a big deal. Um, I just want to call attention to it, that's all. Um, and then given all the injuries that plagued him after leaving St. Louis and going to Detroit uh, in 2004, he only played in like a handful of games, and then he missed all of 2005 with basically a career-ending injury. Um, so it's possible that steroids and HGH played a part of Vina uh, remaining healthy in St. Louis, although it didn't help his power numbers, it seems. So maybe that doesn't always go hand in hand. Uh, decent numbers overall, but in the grand scheme of things here, it's just more mediocrity and a pass for me. Yeah, have anything else you wanted to add for Fernando Vina? No. All right. Uh, So this will bring me to uh, Colton Wong. Uh, He's been with the Cardinals since 2014 at the major league level. Uh, He was drafted by the Cardinals out of the University of Hawaii. Um, I distinctly remember when this draft took place. Um, Mainly it was still a time frame where I really paid attention to it, and there was a ton of hype around the UCLA starting pitchers. So Garrett Cole and our boy Trevor Bauer went first and third overall, respectively. And they both pitched for UCLA, uh, so their team was pretty good, to say the least. Um, but it was it was such a big deal for me for two reasons. A, the Cardinals added a second baseman with some pop, um, which was just unheard of. Like, they those type of players didn't really exist in the league at that time. It was more of like your Brian Roberts-esque type guys, um, your Dustin Pedroia-esque type players um, that were who played second base. Uh, so to have a guy that had some pop was rare. Um, also, the Yankees drafted a guy named Dante Bichette Jr. Sounds super promising, right? But that's yeah. that's Alphonse Dante Bichette Jr. He's just this Brazilian-American guy that they got, and he still hasn't made it to the major league level. But mm. why that draft pick pisses me off so much is the Tampa Bay Rays had the draft pick right after that. And you know who they took? Blake Snell. Blake Snell. <laughs> Blake Snell. <laughs> yep. Ridiculous stat of the night for Blake Snell. In his senior year of high school, he struck out 128 guys in 63 innings. Nice. So dumb, dude. So dumb. 2018. Yeah, 2018 Cy Young winner. Nope, let's not get him. Let's get Alphonse Dante Bichette Jr. Stupid Yankees. God. Make me so mad, dude. dude. So anyway, but... I think we're going to talk about a Yankees move for the second baseman. That's pretty pretty nice, though. Working out in their favor. Probably. Um, but back to Wong. Uh, so it didn't take long to for Wong to take, make it to the, didn't take long for Wong to make it to the majors. Um, he got the call up in 2013. 
uh, also made the postseason roster in 2013. Um, so this is going to be where I get into not so much of stat stuff, but just kind of what went on for Wong in that time frame. So in 2014, Wong was given the starting spot as Carpenter shifted to third following David the David Freeze trade, which I know the city weeped about, but it's fine. It's all right. We'll, you'll get over it. You'll move past it. Um, so even as a starter, so listed as the everyday starter in 2014, Wong only played in 113 games that season. Uh, he did have an, he did go on the DL for a little bit, but I blame mainly Mike Matheny from keeping it short and platooning him out as he split time with Mark Ellis and Daniel Descalzo. 2015 finally saw Wong play as the everyday starter. He played in 115 games. Or 150 games. Jesus, I can't speak. Uh, 2016, he goes back to seeing his playing time limited again, partly due to being sent down to Memphis for 10 days because he struggled in the early parts of the season, but yet it took them till the first week of June to send him down. He was only down in Memphis for 10 days and he came back up. But again, Matheny platooned him at second with Carpenter and Jerko. Uh, 2017, more of the same, played 108 games as the Cardinals gave playing time to the amazing Greg Garcia and Paul DeYoung at second base. 2018, most of the season with Matheny, because uh, obviously he got fired in July that year. Wong played in 120 games, again, playing time made for a platoon of people. Uh, Yairo Munez, Greg Garcia, Matt Carpenter, Jed Jerko all, see, all saw at least 10 starts at second base. 2019, finally fully with Schilt. Wong played in 148 games, only the second time he had broken 130 games in a season. So I want to break down his stats in two ways. All right, so first, from 2014 to 2019, the years he saw prominent playing time, Wong batted 263, 321 on-base percentage, 386 um, uh, slugging percentage. Uh, at least I'm pretty sure that's the, the stat that I'm grabbing. Let me look at this real quick, because I feel like that was lower than I was expecting, or what I saw earlier, so I might be looking at the wrong number. Uh, no, I'm not. It was just lower than what I, what I remembered. Um, so anyway, so... So over that time frame, he had 52 home runs, uh, 265 RBIs, 319 runs scored, 80 stolen bases. So now if you look at this based on just the seasons he saw every day at bats, so in 2015 he saw 150 games, 2019 he played 148 games, his average stat line goes up to 273 batting average, so it goes up 10 points. His on-base percentage goes to 341, which goes up 20 points, and his slugging percentage goes to 406, goes up 20 points. Um, he would have, um, a lot, he would have averaged 11 home runs, 60 RBIs, 66 runs scored and 20 stolen bases. So if you apply those numbers as yearly averages over the same time frame, he was splitting time all those years under Matheny. He would be at 66 home runs, 360 RBIs, little under 400 runs scored and 120 stolen bases, which is a pretty solid stat line all around for a second baseman that is likely batting near the end of the lineup or potentially leading off. Um, but with his power threat, I think he's a more dangerous batting. Like, I think he's more dangerous than a lineup batting seventh or eighth or ninth in 2020 with the DH in effect. So you don't have the pitcher to worry about. Um, so I think he really extends the lineup. Um, he also strikes out a minimal amount. Uh, it's right around like 15.2% of his at bats. Um, and that's in comparison, like, to a Jose Altuve, who's considered one of the better second basemen in the league, which I think most people would agree with. He struck out in 15% of at-bats in 2019. So, like, you know, like, Wong's right up there with, like, not striking out a ton. Um, so I think he has tremendous upside, was grossly misused during the years that Matheny was at the helm. And as such, I want to add him to my lineup for my all-wildcard team for the Cardinals. Let the hate begin. <laughs>
No, I don't think there's hate because so when I started looking at it, so I, I agreed with all the other guys you said, but really between me, it was Colton Wong or Matt Carpenter for sure. And yes. so, and I, I mean, couldn't pick Carpenter. Yeah. <laughs> My decision was real easy. But so like, what do I, what have I tried to say about Carpenter? Like Carpenter clutch hitter when, you know, he's going to take a lot of pitches. Hard, he's a hard out. Um, and he's all these things. Um, so I was like, okay, so how do I try to verify this? So I look at, um, like the advanced stats or whatever, it like counts balls and strikes in really like, um, I don't have the sorted so I can look at it easy. There it is. Um, I mean, he bats all right. Like in two, two counts, he bats two, uh, two twenty six. Like that's not great. And I would expect in my head, I thought that was going to be better. Um, and interesting in three and O counts, he um, has 129 walks. Um, so he's good in three O counts. Um, he actually best bats in the three and O counts, three and one counts, two and O counts. First pitch, um, which I think I could have also guessed, one and one counts, zero strikes, two and one counts, O and one counts. After O and three counts, one and O counts, batters ahead, zero balls, even count. Like, some of these like top batting averages he has like aren't even in like super clutch right it's kind of well, like it and that's yeah. like a, it's like when i when i also broke it down where like again i know i'm kind of taking some of wong's again not even wong's best years like 2017 statistically was probably his best overall season and he only played in 108 games that year like in terms of like what he accomplished in those 108 games but so if you take the years because for me i think the big thing is that colton wong struggled when he wasn't seeing every day at bats yeah. you know like to play to play in 108 games like that's two months of baseball he was sitting you know yeah. like that's that's a lot of games missed so if you take his full seasons and then you compare those as like an average like this is what he would do and then you look at the same thing for like matt carpenter or, or I, what i did for like scott Rowland. yeah carpenter was a 269 hitter wong would be at 273 or 271 whatever it was um Carpenter was hitting like 18, 19 home runs, so definitely a little bit more pop in that regard, um, where Wong was at 11. But their RBI totals are about the same, so they're driving guys in, and Carpenter's probably more notoriously batting in towards the middle of the lineup. I know he tends to be, uh, like, he tends to be most successful at the top of the lineup, but I think, like, Wong just also gives you that versatility. Um, and that's where I kind of like having both Carpenter and Wong, like, in, yeah. in my lineup. Um, I am kind of lefty heavy right now for McCarl's team, <laughs> yeah. but you know, it's, it's all right. Beltran being a switcher will really <laughs> help me out. Um, right. Um, so sorry, I just reeled back in real quick. So yeah. I went, I did the same thing for Colton Wong in counts and balls and strikes. Um, and really not like a huge, huge difference, but I think that's kind of what I think the pattern I start seeing here is when I start looking at numbers, there's not a lot of difference other than Matt Carpenter has way more plate appearances uh, than Colton Wong. And I think for all the reasons you did. And then the other thing I looked at really closely was what you just talked about was their batting order positions. And like the one thing about Matt Carpenter, the saga has always been like, well, if he doesn't bat lead off, like, he can't he's not going to be able to hit. Right. Yeah. So if you look at Matt Carpenter's batting order positions, uh, when he bats first, he bats a 279. When he bats second, he bats a 244. When he bats third, he bats a 208. 
uh, and it doesn't really get good until he bats sixth or seventh, and then he bats a 337 and a 286 respectively. So when you start looking at Colton Wong, no one's ever claimed he was going to be your leadoff guy. Like they don't really use him in that. He bats that like sixth, seventh, eighth role. Right. Like, that's he, where I think he would be dangerous. Turnover role. And yeah. that's where he's excelling. Batting ninth, he bats 295. He's like the way LaRusa always used to play that, I really was intrigued by just like the amount of times that batter nine comes up in like wow, look a late at Brett inning, Gardner. And you're trying to turn over the inning, you know? Uh, yeah, and then Brett batting made a seventh, there. he's batting 288. Like he's owning his position. The other point I looked at is that you also just hit was that they're RBI totals. So Colton Wong's hitting one RBI for every 10 at bats, whereas Matt Carpenter hit one RBI for roughly every nine at bats. So really it's the same move, but what do I get over uh, Matt Carpenter than, than I would ultimately get with Colton Wong. And that's grade a defense on this team. You know, yeah. like he, a gold glover, he's, he makes ridiculous plays at second base. Um, and so for those reasons, I will also be taking Colton Wong on my team. Um, and no. I'll round out Scott Rowland, <laughs> Edgar Renteria, Colton Wong, and a player to be named later at first. Powerful. <laughs> uh, the other thing I like about like Colton Wong playing with Albert Pujols is like, you saw, um, or we saw it this year with, uh, not, not that not this year because we haven't seen any baseball, <laughs> um, but with Paul Goldschmidt, he, a lot of the times to Colton Wong, he tells them like, you better throw this at my chest. Don't be throwing this anywhere else. And I think Colton Wong kind of needs that from a, a mental standpoint. It's like, hey, we get it. You're good and you're flashy, but throw it right here. You know, every time. Play consistent and baseball. And he's and definitely got to be the coolest guy on the Cardinals team. Uh, I, uh, like, he's Hawaiian, bro. Like, he's got to be the coolest true. dude. He's Hawaiian. That is true. He's got to be the that coolest dude. All right. There you go. Did I shock you with my... Uh, yeah, I, I actually pick. am kind of surprised. Like, I, I thought that it was just going to be Matt Carpenter. Um, you were you were pretty high on Carpenter in our last discussion. Um, so Still it's, am. And, yeah, so and, I, and not and de it's definitely, like you said, like it was kind of a two-horse race for sure. Um, so I don't think there's a wrong decision. Um, but I knew, like, I, I value Colt Long. Like, I think he's a pretty dynamic player. Um, the fact that he hasn't been an all-star is baffling to me. Um, like I, I think that that'll change in the very near future. Um, probably not this year. Cause I don't really know that, that it should count for anything. If you get an all-star not here, but like I would say 2021 Colton Wong could be an all-star. Um, it's surprising to me that he hasn't already, but I think a big part of it is that he just doesn't, he hasn't played in a lot of games. Um, but he kind of gets overlooked as well. Cause like that 2011 draft class gets talked about cause of how loaded it was. I think there's something like 18, picks in the first round that have played an all-star game so far yeah. um, and he was the pick 16 in that draft I yeah believe. so it, it was yeah it was a it was a good pickup for sure just not a lot of love for him um and i get that like he's kind of mouthed off he was kind of one of the first guys to be that new that new age type player uh tommy fam was kind of the same way that just kind of was like a like a, a pay me mentality just like you know, like what you would hear like Blake Snell talk about now or like seeing Trevor Bauer out on Twitter talking the way that he does. Like it's just that new age of player. And he was really kind of the first one here in St. Louis, in my opinion, that before that it was just kind of always like, no, sir. Yes, sir. I'm on this for the I'm playing for the name on the front of the jersey. And Colton Wong was kind of like the first player to kind of play for the name on the back here in St. Louis. Um, and then Tommy Pham came along and then Tommy Pham quickly left. 
uh, cause fans yeah. couldn't, couldn't reel it in. Like Wong got, I feel like Wong, they had a discussion and he, they're like, cool. Like you can say these things, but just keep it in house. You know, like have that conversation with me. Like, you don't have to blast it in the media. And fan was like, nah, I'm gonna do me. And was just kind of asshole about some things. And then he went on and he's having a successful career elsewhere. So good for him. But you know, he, he could be part of something special here. In St. Louis. We only have 90 outfielders though. So when you see an outfielder yeah. go, we're just like, we're trying not unless yeah, actually, you know what? If we see outfielders go, let's just try not to be mad about it. Yeah. Like we watched uh, uh, Oscar Mercado. Uh, yeah. Mercado, like he's go, doing. Go well. to Cleveland. Yeah, he's doing well. Like batting like almost three hundred, hitting bombs. There, like that'll be something cool. for content that we can do. Like if we were to put together a team of our pl- of players that were brought like drafted by our teams that then went elsewhere. And Ooh. or like left, we'll we'll put together like a here's our our team. We'll just do like this one episode. Here's, oh, yeah, yeah, here's 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 what you have. I think that's um, a good idea. Yeah, so I guess we can we can move over shop over to the Yankees. Uh, kind of get through that. I don't know if you if you have anything that you want to go through. Um, I feel like we might be on different posts here, possibly. Um, right. But it. Again, like so to to me, this really was kind of a a pretty open race, um, yeah. but some of it is definitely because of nostalgia and what they meant to me, um, right. that they that it became probably like a four player discussion for me, um, whereas the Cardinals it was a little bit more clear cut for me. So right. I don't uh, I don't know if you want to go first or or, yeah. or what. Start and then I'll let you and then I'll let you go. Um, so for me. Um, my list was pretty cut down pretty quickly because, like, Miguel Cairo, I, I don't really want to look into. Steven Drew, don't really want to look into. Alfonso Soriano played for the Cubs. Could could care less about him. Starling Castro. <laughs> yeah. Cairo and Drew. Cairo and Drew only played one year each, 2014, yeah. 2015. Uh, That's why they barely made the list. Yeah. I, Alfonso Soriano, I didn't like him just in general. I'm So I, I just didn't even look at him. So the three players I did look at – were uh, Robinson Cano, Glaber Torres, and I was like, who is Chuck? How, how did you pronounce his not, not, last name? Knobloch. Yeah, Knobloch. I was like, who <laughs> is this guy? Gotta look him up. All right, yep, so another guy that you're going to learn to love yeah. about the dynasty yeah. that was the New York Yankees when so I got into baseball. He, uh, yeah, <laughs> definitely because, like, so he's got four World Series, and, like, he, he won three. one out. For the, he's been, well, well all right, he has won he, four. He won three with yeah. New York. So that was my, so he's like, he's won one outside of the organization. It wasn't just like I came to the Yankees and like he was a part of a great run, but he yeah, also he won, won one like with the twins years prior to that. Yeah, I think he like, won one with the twins yeah, like in the yeah. early 90s. Yeah, he got drafted by the twins, yeah. uh, all that. So then, like, I'm just starting to like read the history of him, and it's like, oh, yeah, he was just really good player, and like he was supposed to be like. He, they, I think I read something like he was supposed to be like this double play machine between uh-huh. him and Jeter. Yep. They were just going to be turning double plays, and that's yeah. all it was going to be. Yep. And then it was like Rick uh, his, <laughs> his air started ballooning, and he yep. couldn't throw. It hit like 200 throwing errors in like a course of amount of time. And yep. then got the his, his career like ended. He still gets four World Series rings, even though he doesn't like play defensively overall that well. Like eventually. And then, like, he gets uh, put on the reported as an HGH user list, and he gets caught beating his common wife, uh, common law wife. Mm-hmm. Um, so just a turbulent career, um, lots of rings, but 
pretty turbulent career. I did not end up going with Chuck, but uh, interested to know Chuck's career in baseball. <laughs> yep, you're, you're welcome. He got uh, the yips, man. <laughs> the easiest so, way to the easiest way to explain the yips is think Rick Ankiel as a Cardinals fan. Yeah, dude, one hundred percent. Got the yips. Um, or. Uh, or uh, who's on the Cubs that can't throw to first base? John Lester. Uh, John Lester. John Lester, dude. Yeah, it's bounce pass. Yeah, I don't get why they don't just run on him every time. Until yeah. he proves he can throw there, yeah. run it. You know, especially if your guy's mediocrely quick. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what a what a bum. So I, I was honestly really torn here because so the numbers and I'll let you go through uh, at a more in depth level, but so Robinson Cano, I think, is like when you look at it, like the like from a number standpoint um i think the guy hit like 309 just as a yankee and was like a 300 hitter for his career um he's one of uh, a handful of lists of players that have um wait how many hits did he have did he have uh, actually write that down i'm not gonna go with his hits uh but he won a ring in 09 he won eight all-star game appearances uh just nice home run competition that he didn't strike out like i was amazed by his strikeout numbers like it was like average like 76 and a half a year um which was pretty nuts um and then i also learned that he could have actually been traded to the rangers but the uh the Rangers took some other guy, not Robinson Cano, for A-Rod. Um, ultimately, obviously, like, super benefiting uh, the New York Yankees. Um, and then, so, Glaber Torres. Do you, do you honestly not know who the other guy was? No. Alfonso Soriano. <laughs> oh, was it? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, good for them. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> worked out pretty uh, well for us i think yeah and then so glaber torres like probably one of my f- more favorite yankees at this point like this like young kid doing super well um has been batting well since like triple a like he's been consistently a 300 hitter mm-hmm. um until his two years in the majors um but, I mean, he's even showing promise that, like, really, if he just hits for better average and doesn't strike out as much, uh, we're only two years into this. Like, the sky is kind of the limit for him at this time, um, especially, like, coming in and hitting, uh, uh, what, 24 home runs in the first, in 2018 and 38 home runs in 2019. Um, yep. And then his simulated stats having hit him, having, have him hitting, man, we both can't talk to tonight. Uh, hitting 303 with 24 home runs and 63 RBIs this year. To be fair, you're just uh, not warmed up because I've been talking so much. True that, true that. <laughs> um, so, whereas I think Robinson Cano would have been my would have been my easy pick if I went for numbers, but I think kind of the fact that I would own a Glaber Torres jersey, like I, he just rakes for me in MLB The Show every time I have him. Um, I, and I just like Glaber Torres. I actually kind of like a lot of the young uh, younger guys on the Yankees. Uh, and I'm just going to see what the future holds for me, and I'm going to take Labor Torres here uh, instead of Robinson Cano, who may or may not have also benefited from taking performance-enhancing drugs. It didn't stop me on the Alex Rodriguez. It wouldn't have really stopped me here other than I just really like Labor Torres. So. Yeah. 
I, I think that is a very, very fair, very good decision. <clears throat> Can't be mad about it. Um, so I guess with the, the guys that I went through, um, Knobloch, he kind of hit on everything that needed to. He was with the Yankees from 98 to 2001 for four years. They won three championships and went to four AL pennants. Uh, fuck you, Arizona. Um, he batted lead off in front of uh, Derek Jeter, Paul O'Neill, Bernie Williams, Tino Martinez. So he just scored a lot of runs all the time. Um, his batting line was pretty similar to what we talked about with like those guys in St. Louis. Uh, 272 hitter, um, on-base percentage pretty decent, a little bit of pop. Um, mainly because of the short porch in right field for New York that I think adds home runs for literally everybody. Um, but, yeah, it was definitely, for me, it was more about, like, the, the – he wasn't really a defensive wizard in Minnesota, uh, but it got so much worse in New York. Yep. <laughs> so I looked at it, like, in seven seasons with the Twins, he committed 66 errors. In three seasons with the Yankees, he committed 54 as a second baseman. <laughs> yeah. And – uh, the highlight of that being the 99 season, he committed 26 errors, and all of them were throwing errors. Yeah, I think I saw that as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So just not like, and one of them, like one of the air throws, like went into the stands and hit like the commissioner's mom in the head. <laughs> like just, nice. just all, all bad for Chuck Knobloch. Um, yeah, his last season, like that's why it's like just three seasons he came, and so 2000, the 2001 season, he just DH'd. Like he didn't. He didn't uh, play the field at all. Um, Soriano took over at second base for defensively. Um, so I will I will shift to him. I had him on my list. You didn't really talk to him about him too much because uh, you had talked about his time with the Cubs. So you're basically like cutting him off the list. You know, completely understand the move. It happens. Um, so he came in at the end of the dynasty. He played parts of 99 and 2000, but his rookie year wasn't until 2001, taking over for the yips uh, cursed. Um, Chuck Knobloch. Uh, he played with the Yankees through 2003 before being dealt to Texas as the centerpiece in the Alex Rodriguez trade. Um, he was going to be 28 for the 2004 season, um, and a lot of people view that as like your prime time frame, so it made sense. Um, if you only take into account the three full seasons he played, he averaged 32 home runs, 89 RBIs, plus batted 286 and stole 40 bases, and he continued to rake uh, a lot even after he left. Um, so I'd hate to think what would have happened had he, the Yankees held on to him. But given who they didn't give up, I was okay. Um, I was a huge Alfonso Soriano fan. Um, I really hate to see him go. Uh, he was just a different dynamic for second base, for sure. Um, went on to play in Texas, Washington, and as a Cub. Uh, he did return to the Yankees in late 2013 and for part uh, the first part of 2014. Didn't go well at all, uh, partly due to them signing Beltran and Ellsbury, so it really cut down on his... His playing time, uh, struggles with the plate, saw him release, and ultimately ended his career. Um, in his last full season, which was 2013, his batting average dipped. He was at batting 255, but he still hit 34 home runs, drove in 101 RBIs, and had 18 stolen bases. And I think he was like 38, something like that, in that year. So, uh, his power-hitting second baseman go, it Jason. didn't get much better than Serrano. Strong possibility. Like... But for anyone that played during that time frame, like through the late 90s through the 2000s, I would feel that way about anybody. Like yeah. if someone were to say, like you would not block, like, oh, so our, uh, you know, Cano, like a anyone like that, like, hey, they were doing this. Like, yeah, probably. <laughs> sure. Why not? Yep. Um, so uh, 
<clears throat> the other person that I have on the list that you didn't get into is Starlin Castro. Um, I thought it was very interesting how his time frame came to be with the with the Yankees and when he left. So he joined the Yankees before the 2016 season um, after having a great stretch in Chicago with the Cubs. This is the, I figured that was the other reason why you didn't add him because he's the Cub as well. Um, so the Cubs had added uh, Ben Zobris as like a veteran, and they had the up-and-coming Javier Baez as a super utility infielder, um, along with Chris Bryant, Addison Russell, and Anthony Rizzo, all the, the young guns in Chicago uh, for that 2016 season. Um, so there was just no place for Castro. So they dealt him to the Yankees for Adam Warren, uh, just kind of a long relief type pitcher to kind of bolster their bullpen. So really for next to nothing, uh, the the Yankees got Castro. So in 2016, 2017, he batted 283, uh, 317 on base percentage, 442 slugging percentage, hit 37 home runs, 133 RBIs. So roughly, you know, 20-ish, you know, 18 home runs, 19 home runs a season. Um, and 70 RBIs season, uh, and 129 runs scored. So, like, you know, decent decent numbers. Um, and that was in his second season being limited to 112 games due to injury. Um, the injuries ended up being super ill-timed, as well as some other moves the Yankees made. So, later in 2016, uh, the Yankees made another trade with Chicago, moving Aroldis Chapman to the Cubs to help a bullpen for a playoff push. Spoiler, it worked. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And that trade, though, the Yankees landed a top prospect by the name of Glaber Torres. Glaber Torres, dude. Uh, as... my, my notes that I missed from this were, you want to know why the Cubs aren't a good franchise? Because they gave up Chapman for uh, Glaber Torres, and they still don't have Chapman. Yeah, so they also... Torres for Chapman, and they so, don't have Chapman. Yeah, so also, for with Torres, the Yankees also got Billy McKinney, who was eventually traded to Toronto in the deal for J.A. Happ, which Hap was a stud the one year they brought him over. Then they signed him to a huge deal, and he's been poop since then. Uh, I'm really mad that he's still a Yankee. They should just <laughs> let him go. He's like the pitching version of Chase Headley. Um, so, um, and in that in that trade, they also got Adam Warren back, who they traded for Starlin Castro. So really, the Yankees got Castro for nothing. <laughs> like, <laughs> like they traded Adam Warren for Starlin Castro, then got Adam Warren back in the Chapman deal. Um, so due to the injuries though, Castro would end up being dealt after the 2017 season in exchange for Giancarlo Stanton. So we traded Adam Warren for Castro, traded away Chapman to get Torres, McKinney, and Warren. Um, (laughs) so we got Warren back, then we traded Castro for Stanton and then signed Chapman back in that off season. So we just like got Torres, McKinney. And Warren, and then got Stanton and Chapman. So, like, really, the Cubs gave Miami Castro, and we got Stanton. And that's how the deal worked out. And then everybody wants to know why the Cubs are 23 games behind the Cardinals in the 2020 simulation. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Because they have a guy that's an idiot running their team. And I I hate Theo Epstein. So, uh, yeah, fuck that guy. He can come on our show, though, if he wants to. Well, at least he, at least he failed with yeah. the Cubs, and he didn't come over here and like, you know, win rings or more yeah. rings than he already did, I guess. Right. Well, I mean, they did win a ring. He did break the curse. He broke That's the curse with Boston. They, broke they the curse with Chicago. Great for him, but him and him and Jed Hoyer can, you know, kick rocks. Yeah, kick rocks for sure. I'm with it. So, um, 
<clears throat> leaves really the two that you talked about, Cano and Torres. Um, not much to say about Torres other than what you talked about. Um, he was kind of like, I view him like, uh, the first thing I said was like the future as some have come to coin him, uh, spoiler alert, it was me, uh, for Yankee baseball, uh, two seasons tearing it up. Um, he was kind of the cherry on top of an amazing GM stretch that Cashman had from the off season before 2016 to the off season before 2019. Um, but we can get into that at a different time. Um, I absolutely love some of the moves that Brian Cashman makes. Um, and they're very small, under-the-radar type things. Um, but he's a big part of the Baby Bombers. That's what we kind of talked about. The the judges, the Gio Urshelas, the Glaber Torres, um, they uh, Clint Frazier, those guys who also came over in the 2016 season uh, when Cashman was being a genius. Uh, so he just kind of helped rejuvenate baseball for Yankees fans coming out of a rough stretch in the mid-2010s. Uh, 2017 saw the start of the resurgence as the Yankees were unexpected contenders, losing to the Astros and the ALCS. And then with the arrival of Torres in 2018, probably would have been up in 2017, but he fucked up his elbow. Uh, the Yankees became a very real threat. I uh, ended up losing to the eventual champs in the 2018 ALDS and then lost in the ALCS last year. Uh, but for Glaber to make a big impact in the shortened season in 2020, where the Yankees are favorites in the AL, um, I think that he could easily put up numbers that are just video game-like and mm-hmm. could compete for an MVP, hands down. Um, definitely, definitely really, really good. Um, so then on the other side of it, there was Robbie Cano. Uh, he was the eventual everyday replacement for Soriano after he got dealt. As you mentioned, he could have went in the deal to the Rangers for A-Rod, but they went with the guy in his prom in his prime that had played at the major level, and Soriano had already been successful. Can't blame him, and he did do well. Um, they just didn't retain him. He ended up signing him. Or I think he went. They traded him to the Nationals or something because they weren't going to re-sign him, and then the Nationals didn't sign him, and he signed with Cubs. Um, right away, Cano hit. Never really stopped as a Yankee. Over nine seasons, as you mentioned, he hit 309, 355 on bat, uh, on base percentage, 504 slugging percentage, hit over 200 home runs, over 800 RBIs, just under 800 runs scored, five all-star appearances, two gold gloves, and he won the 2009 World Series. Um, winning championships is really the only thing that Cano didn't do as a Yankee, um, but the teams were always very good. They competed uh, quite a bit when he was here. Uh, his departure came heading into the 2014 season when he received a huge payday from Seattle. Uh, so that's the only reason why he wasn't really there any longer. Uh, the Yankees had offered him seven years, $175 million, but he turned it down looking for a longer deal. Um, he was going to be 31 heading into the 2014 season, and the the Mariners gave him 10 years, $240 million. Yeah, dude, the age of the 10-year contract has got to be over. Yeah. None of the 10-year contracts worked out. None well, of them. I, th- like, I think that if it's going to happen. To these yeah. the young kids, that's fine. But signing these 31-year-old yeah. players to 10-year deals is stupid. Yeah, it's got to be, like, really, like, their first deal. Like, it's got to be, yeah. like, long-term. Like, like yeah. Trout. Like, Trout's deal. Yeah. You, know, yeah, like, you like my you, Trout up? Through yeah, like you sign them. You sign them out of high school or out of college. They make it to the majors when they're 22 years old. You know, like they're breaking in the majors. They get their arbitration. You know, maybe they're 27, 28, and then you sign them to a 10-year deal. They're 38 years old. Then they sign maybe some bullshit deals like what Wainwright's doing until they retire at the age of 40, 41, something like that uh, for players that can still do it, or they just retire when they're 38. That's going to be the new norm. But the thing is, like, they're just – like, if players are going to want to sign a deal that long, they're going to want to get paid. You know, whatever. We'll see how it goes. 
Yeah. So, uh, the only real mark against Cano here, like I said, was the lack of winning uh, that took place during the stretch, but certainly not due to his performances. Uh, so, it really was a coin flip between Cano and Torres. Um, with I, I ended up giving the nod to Cano strictly because Cano did what he did over the course of nine seasons. I feel very confident that Torres will continue to do so, um, but I, I haven't seen it. So similar to why I went with O'Neill over Judge, um, that O'Neill just did it for such a long time, and I haven't bought in that the Baby Bombers will continue to do what they do. Um, long term, I would really hope that they do, and I just feel like I'm jinxing myself to say they for sure will. Um, but I, I would not be mad to have either one. Um, and knowing that we're going to have a DH spot, it's going to make a very interesting conversation piece about it. Um, so I, and I guess we didn't consider that we're going to pick a DH. Um, oh yeah. We got to, so we, yeah, so oh, we, no, we did say we'd pick a DH. We did. I mean, whenever and, we were talking about our schedule coming up. Yeah. Like and when we, we were just pick, planning uh, out episodes a player that didn't make our roster or something. Right. Like that they were eligible at, at a position, like they were eligible for at least one position, but we didn't pick them. Then they can be our, they can be the DH in that aspect. And then for the Yankees, obviously it'll also include anyone that qualifies as a DH because they'll actually have DH players potentially. Um, like Stanton, you know, but Stanton may not even be at enough games played for that. So who knows? Um, but no, I was more so talking about, so we were saying like this leaves us, so for second base, I went with Colton Long and Robbie Cano. Chris went with Colton Long and Glaber Torres uh, to round out our our middle infield. Um, so we have first base, catcher, pitchers, and then that DH spot. And so that's what we were trying to do was we figured it would be a nice little like three rounds. So maybe we try to squeeze DH in with one of these other two weeks, maybe next week. Yeah, yeah, we can probably we do, squeeze that in. We do first base DH kind of thing. Because yeah. um, I, I feel like like catcher we can squeeze in wherever. Um, or maybe if we end up finding out that first base is as easy as we think it's going to be. I think catcher is going to be fairly simple. Uh, it's probably yeah. going to be Yadier Molina and Jorge Posada for both of us. Um, could could not be Posada. Like you could look at like a Gary Sanchez or something like that. But I don't think you're going to be able to pick anyone other than Molina. Like we're just going to have Molina and four other guys that happen to play catcher at some point for the Cardinals. Pretty much. <laughs> um, but I, so maybe if like we squeeze in like first and catcher next week, um, and then we can talk about DH since it'll be a wide variety of people. And then we'll just do the pitching staff as a whole to sum everything up. Um, and that would take us through uh, the 20th of July. And then baseball would be at, like live baseball will be starting up the 23rd and 24th. So then the episode of the 27th, we'd actually have that back. Um, I know uh, also look for us. So we'll, if we can do first and first base and catcher, if we feel it can be pretty short or we'll, maybe we'll intentionally try to keep it shorter. Uh, but we'll also get into like the 60 player, uh, the 60 player pool picks that teams have made when we have that information. So you'll have that to look forward to for next week as well. Um, but yeah, I think that kind of wraps up everything we had on the agenda for tonight. Unless I'm forgetting anything. No, I don't think so. All right, cool. Well, Another successful episode. Um, yeah. We Send differ. We differ on a Yankees pick. That's pretty exciting. Yeah. Um, yeah well, what, we, we've differed on Judge and Coors now. Yeah. Usually, yeah. It's just been like predominantly the other side of it. 
Um, well, look, I go nostalgia a little bit of my time. Like as a kid, you lean a little bit more that way. And some of these newer players you like more than, you know. Yeah. Because it's not sold on quite yet on your own team. Yeah, yeah. And it's, yeah, so so you're looking at Drew Edmonds Holiday out in the outfield, um, Roland, Renteria, Wong so far in the infield, and then Judge Williams Matsui in the outfield, um, Jeter, A-Rod, uh, Torres on the infield. We both, we both have first base still to fill. I got Beltron, Edmonds, Ozuna, DeYoung. It's like our our Cardinals team is so different. It's so crazy to me uh, how yeah, different be, our Cardinals team is, man. It's gonna be fun to watch the simulation, and we should even maybe just record us like watching the simulation, and yeah. then like it could be like an extra podcast we just put out that's like right, us like just like, talking about the game, how it's going, hits, stuff like that. Yeah. I think that'd be kind of fun. like just like live commentary from us. Yeah, I'd yeah, be down yeah, for that. Yeah, yeah that sounds I'll like a that. good time. Yeah, it sounds like a good time. Um, but yeah, so, so yeah, so next week we'll, uh, we might have a double position treat. We'll try to squeeze it in. Um, like I said, I think some of the picks will be relatively simple, um, on those. Uh, it's probably going to be like a Pujols to Shara, um, Posada Molina type combination or something along those lines. Uh, cause there's just some iconic players on both sides that have played for both teams. Ray, Lang- Ray Langford hitting my DH ball. You know um, yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting. I think it'll be really interesting to see what's at. Cause now you're looking at like, for me on the Yankee side, you're, you're looking at like a Torres versus judge potentially, you know, like with where, with where that falls in at, um, you know, like uh, Scott Rowland versus, you know, uh, a Ray Langford, you know, and on the, on the Cardinal side, um, uh, Willie McGee. Yeah, yeah. Willie I just, McGee. just someone or like uh, Scott Rowland versus Mark McGuire. Yeah. You know, um, so it'll be interesting to see like where where it plays out. So we'll uh, we'll try to squeeze in too, so that way we can wrap up and have our teams done. Because um, I, I feel like it's just going to be a full on episode when baseball actually starts up. That's going to be where where we want to be at. Yeah, it'll be hard to cover anything else because like, yeah. we'll be trying to cram a lot of stuff in. I'm sure there's going to be all kinds of weird stuff going on. and uh, Yeah, so ho- so hopefully we'll uh, we'll have baseball going and everything will be good. Um, but yeah, so so tune in for that for, for next week. Uh, potentially the two-player two picks for next week uh, as well as just kind of covering over the 60-day pool and maybe who we think um, – what we think the final roster, like that 30 roster pick will look like. Uh, maybe we'll do some, some talking beforehand and just get like some of the, uh, agree to like some of the first like 25 guys that would be like a normal makeup. And then we'll discuss who we think the other five guys will be on the podcast kind of thing. Uh, or yeah. we'll see like how much we differ uh, really, I guess maybe we'll go f- something along those lines. We'll put something together, but it might look a little different next week. We're on a clock now. MLB didn't give us enough time to finish our show, get to get our content done. These uh, bastards, MLB. These bastards no, just. I'm gonna tweet at MLB. Get getting us any way they can. Pretty much, always um, always bringing us down, dude. But yeah, uh, share what you think. Uh, you can find us at the Interleague on Twitter. Uh, shoot us an email, um, uh, the Interleague at gmail.com. Um, we check it all the time. We will reply to anything that's not just being a butt. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. um, I but yeah, reply to that. Yeah, we might. 
Um, if you have show ideas, something you'd like to hear our take on, uh, question you'd like to pose, thoughts you want to share on anything else we've said, uh, chime in, be interactive. Um, but until next week, stay cool. Bye, everybody.